0: Was fastened down, I spent the night in sleeplessness and rose at every sound, half in hopeless sorrow and half in fear the day would find the soldiers breaking through to drag us all away. And just before the sunrise, I heard something at the wall. The gate began to rattle, and a voice began to call. I hurried to the window, looked down into the street, expecting swords and torches and the sound of soldiers' feet. But there was no one there but Mary, so I went down to let her in. John stood there beside me as she told us where she'd been. She said they'd moved him in the night, and none of us knows where. The stone's been rolled away, and now his body isn't there. We both ran toward the garden, then John ran on ahead. We found the stone in the empty tomb, just the way that Mary said. But the winding sheet they wrapped him in was just an empty shell and how aware they'd taken him was more than i could tell oh well, something strange had happened there just what i did not know john believed a miracle but i just turned to go circumstance and speculation couldn't lift me very high cause I'd seen them crucify him and then I saw him die back inside the house again the guilt and anguish came everything I'd promised him just added to my shame when at last it came to choices Tonight I knew his name. And even if he was alive, no, it wouldn't be the same. Suddenly the air was filled with strange and sweet perfume. Light that came from everywhere drove shadows from the room. Jesus stood before me with His arms held open wide, and I fell down on my knees, just clung to Him and cried.
1: He raised me to my
0: feet, and as I looked into His eyes, love was shining out from Him like sunlight from the skies. Guilt and my confusion disappeared in sweet release And every fear I'd ever had just melted into me
2: together, Christ the Lord is risen today.
3: My what a time of celebration this is. Jesus rose from His grave and He called us out of ours. And so we're alive in Him. If you are visiting First Woodway for the first time, maybe you were caught a little bit by surprise by this celebration that's happening. But you shouldn't be. Jesus Christ is alive and He's present and He's present for you. If only you'll turn your life over to him, all things are possible. Welcome, one and all, to this time of celebration and worship. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have sent your Son to bear our sins and to bear them away. Thank you that when he took our sins to the tomb, he rose again, triumphing over sin, death, and the devil. And in the freedom that he gives, we stand now in the grace that you have shown us in Jesus Christ, we stand now. And we thank you and worship you and celebrate your goodness. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated.
2: Let's all stand together and proclaim, all the earth will shout your praise, Lord. Sing it. Come on. Time, sing it. you may be seated. Don't you appreciate this choir and orchestra up here leading us today?
3: What a morning it has already been, just to celebrate together that Jesus is truly alive. This Christian faith is all about joy. Not everyone knows that. It's one of the best-kept secrets, I suppose. It's about joy, joy in knowing that Christ has conquered death, and because he has conquered, we have conquered as well. We've sung of that. We've sung of that, but we read in the Gospels, virtually every page some word that encourages us to put absolute trust in Christ who has overcome sin and death on our behalf you i know remember the account from john chapter 11 jesus hears that his disciples disciple lazarus was sick unto death and in fact he does actually die The word had reached Jesus, sent by Martha and Mary, the sisters of Lazarus, asking him to come. But Jesus delayed two days when he heard that Lazarus was ill. He delayed intentionally two days. The text actually says he loved Mary and Martha, so he waited two days before going to Bethany where they lived. It was all because he intended to do an astonishing miracle, To change the lives of all those people in Bethany who would discover something they never knew about God through his ministry on that day. Jesus comes to Bethany and word reaches Mary and Martha that he's on the way, and Martha hurries out to greet him. She's grief stricken, the tears are flowing, perhaps even some anger, resentment in her heart. Jesus, why didn't you come immediately? In fact, she says to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. She says, I know, I know. He will rise again at the resurrection of the last day. But then Jesus says, no, that's not what I'm saying. I want to read to you. John chapter 11 and verse 25, Jesus said to her, to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever believes or rather lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the son of God who is to come into the world. What an astonishing message. This is is not what any teacher had ever taught. In fact, there is no religious teacher in all of history who has spoken with Christ's authority and clarity about the age to come, about eternal life in the presence of the Father, and certainly none who have themselves risen from the dead, giving their word peculiar authority. Jesus says, If you have faith in me, you will live even though you die, even though these bodies give way. You'll live, you'll live forever. In fact, those who live by believing in me, they will never die. Not really, not really. What you call death is merely a passageway, a portal into life eternal. That's the good news of the gospel. That's the reason that we rejoice because of what God has done for us through Christ. Jesus was raised from the dead, but it was that he might raise us from the dead as well. You've probably heard the name Eugene O'Neill. He's one of the great American playwrights. His plays have been produced across the country and frankly, around the world. But early in his career, he wrote a play that is almost never performed. It's called Lazarus Laughed. When the curtain rises, the tomb is open, the rock pushed back, and a man, it's Lazarus, comes bursting out of the tomb. He's rubbing his eyes in the new light, trying to adjust, and he looks around and he sees the people gathered, and he realizes once they remove his grave clothes that that he's alive. He begins to laugh quietly, gently. He embraces Jesus. He embraces Mary and Martha, the friends who had gathered about. The first words he speaks are, yes, yes, yes. Because in this new life that he has. He is embracing life as it is. He reaches out and he lays his hand on the earth, rejoicing in the very dirt on which we walk. He looks up and sees the sky, the trees, the people around him, as if he's never seen them before. His eyes are alive, but not with a far off gaze, but rather with one who is fully present to this world as he had never been, never been because now he knows, now he's alive, and he knows what happens after death. And Lazarus laughs. He goes home there in Bethany, according to the play. And there, all the people of Bethany are astonished, and some actually come to the house, and one has the courage to ask him, tell us, tell us what happened to you, What happens after you die? And Lazarus says, death isn't real the way we think it's real. It's different from the outside than when you actually pass through. You don't pass into this this abyss. Death is a portal into life. He said, there is no death. There's only life. There's only God. There's only joy. You come into the presence of of the one who created you, not because he had to, but because with his loving, generous heart, he brought you into existence. That's the very one who greets you. And as he's telling this, he begins to laugh, only louder. And as he laughs, the more he laughs, the stronger he becomes. Well, Lazarus goes back to his normal life, but now it's different. There's no anxiety He's not flustered or unsettled by what happens because he knows, he knows there's nothing to fear. There is no death, there is life. Now, not everyone's happy about this. The Romans had learned how to dominate whole populations of people and they did it through fear. If some government wants to control people, They know how to do it. Put the fear of life and death in them. Let them know that if they step out of line, their life will be taken and those people will fall into line. And so here the Romans are unhappy hearing about Lazarus laughing. In his home each night, there is singing, there is dancing. His house is known as the house of laughter. They come to him. And they say, you must stop this singing. You must laugh no more. And Lazarus says, you can do nothing to me. There is no death. There's only life. Well, furious, they arrest him and they send him first to Caesarea. But then he makes his way to Rome and he stands before the emperor Tiberius. And Tiberius says, you will stop this infernal laughter now or I will put you to death. And Lazarus laughs. He laughs louder. And he says, you do as you wish. There is no death. There is only life. And so here is the emperor, the most powerful man on earth, and before him stands a man with absolutely no fear, a man who laughs. O'Neill lets us ask ourselves the question, who is the more powerful of those two? What a play. Now, O'Neill was no theologian. In fact, he wasn't even a Christian. And he doesn't highlight something that Jesus makes very clear in this passage. That is, Jesus himself is the resurrection and the life. Those who put their faith in him, those are the ones who are raised to life. It's if you have Jesus that you have life. If you don't have Jesus, there is a death. But once allowance is made for that and we recognize that Lazarus knew Jesus, then indeed it is true. There is no death. There is only life. And we will enter into the presence of our God, passing through death as if it were nothing, a great emptiness, a mere portal into everlasting glory and laughter. And those who know it, Those who know it laugh even now. Christopher Hitchens was an atheist. He died in 2011 from cancer. You probably remember the title of his best-selling book, God is Not Great, How Religion Poisons Everything. Hitchens spent the greater part of his last year's Doing everything he could to counter the malicious influence, as he saw it, of the monotheistic faiths Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. He saw all three as having a terrible effect on the world. And so he would go about the nation, he would def- debate people about God. Does God exist? Now I have to tell you, the man was brilliant, he was articulate. He could be wickedly funny. And, and I always had this, this appreciation for him to this extent, that he said exactly what he thought. He didn't mince words. And there was a kind of basic honesty about him. So, for example, he was interviewed one time by a retired Minister in Portland, Oregon, a progressive minister. She called herself a progressive or liberal Christian minister. In this interview, she said to him, You know, in your books, when you attack religion, generally it's a fundamentalist version of religion. But I'm wondering what you think of people like me, because I don't take the Bible literally. I don't believe Jesus was Messiah, or, for example, I don't think that his death on the cross atoned for sin. What are your thoughts about that? And Hitchens said, well, if you don't believe Jesus is Messiah and you don't believe that he rose from the dead and that his death atoned for our sins, then I don't see that in any meaningful sense you could be called a Christian. Thank you. Thank you for that. So the man had a certain... Honest integrity. Well, he came to know a man and formed an unlikely friendship with this man. His name was uh, Larry Taunton. And Taunton was an evangelical Christian who was contacted by Hitchens' agent at one point they asked him to, Taunton, that is, to set up debates for Hitchens around the country with various Christians. And so that's what he did. But in the course of time, they developed this friendship and Hitchens would often stay in Larry Taunton's home and they got to know each other quite well and, and as I say, became good friends. After his diagnosis of cancer, in the last years, Uh, Totten and Hitchens took two road trips across America. And in a fascinating book called The Faith of Christopher Hitchens, Totten writes about some of their conversations and some of the things that happened along the way. And so he talks about one time, they're going through the Shenandoah. It's a beautiful fall day. The sky is clear. The road is open. And Hitchens, interestingly, is reading from John chapter 11. And he pauses after reading the very words we just read, verses 25 and 26. Jesus says he is the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will never die. And he reads those words and he says, I knew those were. I know this saying. I I just had forgotten that it was connect with Lazarus. And Taunton said, it's a good good word. Hitchens said, well, Dickens certainly thought so. He was a literary man, and so his mind actually went to Charles Dickens. Dickens certainly thought so. And then he took off his reading glasses, and with a note of sarcasm, but not with the meanness with which he sometimes spoke, he turned to Taunton and he said, do you believest thou this, Jerry Tottenham? And he said, yes, I do. But then you know that, don't you? He said, the real question is, do you believest thou this, Christopher Hitchens? He paused. Totten thought he was trying to come up with a witty reply for which he was so famous. But then he said, I have to admit it has a certain appeal for a dying man. And isn't that true? A certain appeal for a dying man. You will never die. You will live forever. Death is nothing for those who know Jesus Christ. The fact is, many people are afraid of death. They don't even know they're afraid of death. They might think of it as, as just anxious about time, trying to fill their lives, complete their bucket list, whatever it is. They're, they're desperate to somehow make their lives count because they're so aware it's short. A man named Ernest Becker wrote a Pulitzer Prize-winning book in 1971 called The Denial of Death. He was a cultural anthropologist, and he picked apart what we do in our culture to try to avoid facing the fact that we will all die one day. We don't want to think about it. We want to put it out of our minds. But when we're aware of it, to know there is life eternal... That's an appealing word to a dying person. But we're all dying, sort of, sort of. Our bodies are decaying, but those who know Jesus Christ, they will never die. Ralph Wood is a university professor at Baylor University. He teaches theology and literature He's written over 30 books, and one of them is a very interesting book. He wrote it many years ago called The Comedy of Redemption. Now, when he speaks of comedy, he doesn't mean like something makes you laugh out loud. He's talking about comedy as opposed to tragedy. This is a a literary form. So think about Shakespeare and his plays. Some are tragedies and some are comedies. The tragedies turn out at the end to be heart-rending. Often they end in death. The comedies, on the other hand, in spite of all the reverses and troubles along the way, things come together in a happy ending. Often they end in Shakespeare's play with a wedding. So the tragedies you have like Romeo and Juliet, the comedies you have much ado about nothing. But what's interesting is when you read or watch a play by Shakespeare, you don't know in act one or act two, whether you're watching a tragedy or a comedy. It's not until the third act. And there is a point, a point where there's a turn in the story. And then you see it. Then you know, is this going to decline into a sad tragedy or into a happy comedy. That turning point, do you know what it's called? It's called the crux of the story. Crux, literally, crucial. But in Latin, crux means cross. And the association with Jesus is unavoidable because when you think about life and how life turns out, apart from Christ, it's a tragedy for us all. But then Christ enters into the picture. He dies on a cross and connected to the cross. Inseparable from the cross was the resurrection. And those who follow Christ and wait at the cross and on their knees wait patiently for the promise of the raising of Christ, those people who put their faith in him they experience resurrection and life. Not the tragedy of death, but the comedy of redemption. Everything comes together for the good. The story is a happy story. It is a glorious ending. God being glorified, Christ being magnified, and all of us being embraced by our loving God And brought to a place we never could have imagined. That is the gospel. That's cause for joy. And it's cause for laughter. Christians look at the world today and we see much that is evil and much that is troubling. But we must never take sin and evil and tragedy and trouble as seriously as we take the resurrection of Christ as seriously as we take the fact that Jesus has conquered death. We should never take it as seriously as we do the kingdom of God, which is, in fact, a comedy of redemption. Amen. I think back to this passage we read. Jesus says to Mary, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And the one who lives by believing in me will never die. And Jesus asks Martha, do you believe this? And she says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the son of God. And then I like to think that her eyes lit up, that a smile formed on her face. And then I like to think Martha laughed. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, you know each one of us. You know the troubles that we face, the, the heartache, Lord, that we've endured. And yet, Lord, you know what you have for your people. And it is a comedy of redemption, not a tragedy. And all who know it, laugh. And Lord, may this room be filled of Christians who learn to laugh in joy. And Lord, may those who perhaps have not yet come to know you, not truly know you. Jesus, those who don't know you as the resurrection and the life, may they take that step of faith this morning. May you help them, Lord, to leave behind whatever holds them back and to surrender their lives to you, to surrender to you that they might live. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen.
0: shame is a prison as cruel as a grave shame is a robber and he's come to take my name oh love is my redeemer lifting me up from the ground love is the power where my freedom song is found the rain no i yeah. yeah.
2: I want to close with. It's called Death Was Arrested. Art, lead us.
4: Alone in my sorrow and dead in my sin Lost without hope with no place Love made a way to let mercy come in When death was arrested and my life began Ash was redeemed, only beauty remains. And my orphan heart was given a name. My morning grew quiet, my feet rose to dance. When death was arrested, my life began. Come on, every voice we sing. Oh, your grace, so
1: free. Wash his a
4: Prisoner no more
1: Shame was a ransom we faithfully bore canceled my dad and he called me his friend When death was arrested in my
4: Yes, rejoice.
2: for saving us. Thank you for your son sending him to earth to die for us on the cross and that we could celebrate today his resurrection. And they all said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Go in peace.